Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. But I was always part of something. I was always on a team. Yeah. And I think that probably the greatest thing I ever got out of being here, and now, and, and like I'm just thinking about it, you know, it's a very organic thought from this conversation, <clears throat> was that I always belonged. Yeah. I always had a part. Like I was always the tall, lanky kid that was part of the basketball team. I wasn't. I, I couldn't shoot the three-pointers like Justin and my brother or, or, or dribble like Brian or or I couldn't knock people around like Jerry and Mike could. But I, I could get that ball yeah. before the other person could. <laughs> and, and I always had a place. I always knew I had a purpose. And when I came out of the Army, I got my doctorate degree in April, and in May I was mad. And then... How do you feel? I feel horrible. So here's some pills, you know. And then we did that for three years, and we got off of that, and we started playing music. Um, I say we because there's been a lot of people that joined me. There's, there's a lot of people that have chose to live instead of die, yeah. that have to- chose to like at least go and ask their doctors, can we really examine how many of these pills I actually need? Because some of them actually need some of these pills, and and you yeah. don't just drop. You yeah. must have a doctor work with you on this, and. To come back in and have a place and a being, I think you're right. I think that was like, that was one of the things that I got so much from being here. It's like I felt like I belonged, and I've always been looking for that. You know, like to be part of the last honky tonk music series. It's, it's a group of troubadours traveling around the country playing honky tonk music, but I belong. Yeah. And those bars that we play in, you know, it's local people to go to those bars all the time. Like playing down there in Florida, Bama. A guy stood up yesterday. I think he's about 17 years old, maybe 18. Because like, they weren't drinking. It was with a family. And he was just that age where you could tell, like, it's... He's either going off to college or he's in his last senior yeah. year. And they came up to sing with a band. Uh, with Well, T-Bone was up there, and I think uh, David and Mac were there. And this young kid come up, and he'd been singing. He'd sung a song on that stage for 15 consecutive years, and yesterday was his 16th year. Really, he belonged. Yeah. That was church. Yes. That was that was a place where their family went. Yeah. Their fam, their whole his whole family's sitting there. You know what I mean? Like twenty, thirty people. He belonged somewhere. Yeah. And we lose that a little bit. And you know, we're talking about this thing about education. I, I hear people say, "I have custody over my kids," which is total horse crap. You, your kids always belong to you. They have your genes. Yeah. The, the, I mean, like even I think you could speak to this better than I can. But there's been extremely rich, wealthy people that have been sending their kids off to school and didn't see them for years at a time. Yeah. They're still their kids. Yeah. What well, I mean, like, well, so you know, families are supposed to be the first place that you have that belonging sense to, and you know, one of the one of the things societally, you know, my pastor just said this last week is, you know, the idea of our word mattering, you know, so every one of us that gets married makes a promise, you know, and, yeah. and commitment. 
Yeah, and the idea that this isn't going to be easy, but I'm going to keep my word. Um, I'm going to stay, stay faithful. So, you know, he said no-fault divorce is the worst thing that probably has ever happened in the history of, of our country because it basically let people off the hook for breaking their word, breaking their, their vow. So, you know, I work in an in a, in a industry, a business, where you see the, the consequences in kids' lives every day of, of divorce. You know, men and women not keeping their words to each other. And, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but, you know, those are, that's a real human cost there. And, you know, I'm, I'm a child of a divorced family, and I'll just say, you know, the, the stresses and strains of 18 years of my dad being gone, coming back and wanting to be, you know, the dad again, the husband again, and my mom, you know, getting very, very capable of running things without him and then having to completely flip it, you know, they it just humanly, that's really hard to do. And, and so the community that we're in right here, you know, has an Army Special Forces group right up the road. It has an Air Force Special group, Forces group. Those Army guys in the 7th, you know, they go nine months to Central or South America. They come home for a little bit or six months. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chunk of time. And then they go to Central Asia for the same amount of time and come back. You know, how on earth can you stay married? And so we've got... We got tons of Army uh, Special Forces and Air Force Special Forces families here. A bunch of wives of Army Special Forces guys are teaching for us, and just the the toll you just see on those families—that's the price of marriage, freedom. Right, and and so, you know, I can't imagine I can't imagine living in a place that. Is so, so. I mean, this is in the front of our brains. If you live in this community every single day, yeah. and um, to think that you know, ninety plus percent of Americans don't know anybody <laughs> that serves, and I, you know, I don't know anybody that doesn't serve. We're yeah. we're, we're less than one percent, and that includes if you add in the police. And the uh, firefighters. Yeah. Well, less than one. How, how does this happen? Because same way, well, I grew up here. I didn't know the people well, didn't know. So I, I, I was, I was like the first graduating high school class that was not gonna get drafted to Vietnam. Yeah. The the draft ended like a year before my senior year, so Vietnam was over. But they kept the draft for a couple more years. So, you know. You know what the draft was in the 60s and the 70s. Oh, yeah. you know, guys went to Canada. Guys went to college, didn't want to go to college to get out of it. Um, you know, I was kind of disappointed because I came from a military family. My granddads were both, you know, military. I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to go in the military. So that kind of was like, oh, you know, I, I expected that that was going to happen. But but the idea of, of viewing it as an honor to serve your country, okay, that... That's in this town. That is in this community. It is. And and you know, I've got one one of my six kids is in the military, and you know he grew up from the time he was a little guy, you know, out killing snakes in Choctaw Beach, chasing gators, 
you know, that's what I'm going to do because that's that's really the noblest thing you can do is is to is to, to lay down your life for for your your neighbor. Yeah. And again, that just seems so simple and so basic. And to think that really most of our country doesn't can't can't really fathom that. And then you know, then you when you really live in it and you see the the real human cost. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know broken marriages because these people are apart from each other and they're oh, lonely. The stress is incredible. And you know, I'm just gonna go have sex with a stranger to to to, to get work, some human touch. Yeah, to not, break it. It's not even it's not even like this malicious intent of like yeah. I'm gonna screw up my marriage. It's just like I'm so freaking lonely. Yeah. I don't know how many times. And you know, and, and there's beautiful women in the military, right? And so Kate, with everybody talk, telling me their stories. I'm walking in the mall with Kate, and beautiful woman walks up. I, and it's hard for me to recognize her because she in uniform. And so yeah, I'm they, thinking they do look different when they're uniform. That's it. Well, we all do, you know. And I'm like, I'm looking, and like the beautiful woman walks up, and hey, chaplain, and like come up and hug me. And I don't know how my wife, you know, like we had one rule: none of that anywhere yeah. else. You know, that's the one rule. And so, um, it's a good rule. And I, it, it, it helped. And um, helps you be married. That's it. You know, like here's the main thing. But there's so much stress. Yeah. Like, and, and Kate would write me and be like, oh, man, like, this is going on, that's going on. And then I'm on the other side of the pond seeing this and that going on. And, um, and it was crazy because it wasn't, it wasn't this, I'm going to hurt this other person. Yeah. It was like, I'm just so lonely and I'm so afraid. And, like, every time the news comes on, you know, you, you watched, uh, we were young and soldiers once mm-hmm. where they're knocking on the door. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've knocked on the door and it's not fun. Yeah, my dad had to do that sometimes. Did he? Yeah. And so, and so in that culture where you know that knock could come, yeah. like Kate would say, you know, like there's this, there's these huge amounts of stress that, like she wouldn't even watch the news. Because they'll, so, so, uh, they'll show something on the news and you know if they're showing it on the news, it's watered down, it's diluted, it's not... What's yeah. probably going on? It's been sanitized. It's been sanitized. So our whole tribe knows that. So if they're showing that, what really happened? Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, my wife doesn't watch the news. Of course, I don't either because it gets me riled up. <laughs> but and it, you know, it's like it's like the gun problem. We got a gun problem, you know. And you're a superintendent of a school, you know. We have a problem. I and spend a lot of time and a lot of money. Well, you know, the, the weird thing is we have we have two opposing sides. We have people screaming at each other. And the weird thing is, they both want the same goal. Yeah, they really do. And I, and I really, you know, I don't, I don't talk about the ins and outs of all that kind of thing. But what I do talk about is that I believe that we all have the capacity and the ability to sit down and talk. Yeah. And do, to, so you went, you went on a team pack trip with Bob Green, right? Oh, I did. Yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah. That was my first introduction to the uh, Pentagon. Okay, so <laughs> um, I remember being in. A, a men's bathroom in either the Senate side or the House side. I'm a young teacher, some 23, 25 years old, and I'm going in there to go to the bathroom. And there's there's Democratic representative. I, it had to be the Senate, so because I, I knew the I knew who these guys were. Yeah. And they're in there and they're taking a leak and they're washing their hands. And guys from you know pretty po- this is the 80s, so this is the Reagan Revolution, right? So. Guys from very opposite sides 
are sitting in there and that exact thought hit me is, wow, these guys really both want the same thing. Now they see different ways to go about it. So, you know, big government, little government, all that kind of political theory stuff. But, but really, the, the guy that, that it would be easy to frame, and I think now are frequently framed as, you know, they're the devil. <laughs> the, the other side's the devil. That's, yeah. Um, they really kind of want the same thing that you want, but, you know, so that, that you differ in, in maybe methods and techniques. And I'm not saying that there's not important differences. You know, I got a PhD, large part in, you know, studying political theory in Germany. <laughs> You know, so you know about a few differences. Yeah, it, it matters. It does yeah, matter. It does. But the point is, is that when you when you vilify somebody's intents, now I'm not saying there's not bad people and there's not selfish people in government. I've got a friend that that won an election to a to a Florida House seat, and I know what he had to sacrifice just to run. Oh, this yeah. is not to win and serve. No, just, it's just to run. Just to run. Yeah. And I'm going. You either have to be a, the biggest megalomaniac in the universe, or you have to be somebody that really does want to do good for your your fellow citizen, and you're willing to basically put your life on hold. And and you know when you think about these people, so everybody casts these guys that are you know career politicians and they're making a fortune. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm telling you that you you know God says it in, in Romans 13. You're you're laying your life on the line. To, to be, to serve in government, civil government, you're laying your life and you're on the line, and you're a minister, and you can't escape that. Now, you may be a bad one, so I'm not saying there aren't Neros <laughs> and Caligulas in the world, but but to to have the presumption for me in my you know cushy little chair in my office to have the presumption to say that you know you're you're the devil because you differ with me on you know this. Immigration policy is the craziest thing in the universe. It doesn't universe. make any sense, Mike. I mean, it, it, it's madness. Well, and it, Mike, you know, when I was I was growing up, we had a neighbor that watched movies. You know, my parents they yeah they were not watching movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like no, I am no, I'm the exact no opposite. Yeah. And so, um, they weren't at we you know we got a TV to watch. The, the NBA Lakers and Celtics that year. <laughs> that was, you know, fuzzy little. <laughs> it was so like the old Atari. This facial hair oh, yeah? was because Strew, Magic Johnson won that year and he had this goatee oh, mustache. That's right. And Strew and I both grew it. I have never shaved mine off. Strew shaved his off in three months, okay, but, but we you, wanted to win Church League and we figured if we had Magic Johnson facial hair. <laughs> The six, the six foot three fat fat guy was gonna turn into Magic I don't know, Jamal Wilkes. Well, you know, so like I, my parents would disagree with them, but they'd still go over there and have dinner with them and yeah. talk, hang out. And like I remember one time, Mister Hilburn whooped my butt, and uh, Dad came home and proceeded to do the same thing, and and I thought, well, you don't even agree with him. His wife wears pants, you know. Like I mean, it was just crazy stuff. And um, but it's almost like we've lost in our culture. Well, that's that's community though, and there's you know there's a respect in a community for people that aren't the same. And again, you know, you can have it any place, you know. So the the, the traditional idea that you got to sort of grow up in the same town, live there your entire life, you know. 
it doesn't have to be that. What you're doing, you're, you're doing a community creating, enhancing, living thing. And how many miles did you say you, you traveled a month? Well, last month it was 10,000. Okay, so. Uh, this, this month's a few less. <laughs> okay, so I remember you telling me you were doing something in California, and I went, what, you drove to California? <laughs> Got to go where people are, you know. Like, okay, so, but, but but that I, I don't have a bad back. I've been trapped in California. Well, I, you know, it's like it struck me that the only way to do this, yeah, is to get out there where people are at. You know, like because because nobody came and saw me when I was all drugged up, and then when I went and started seeing people, and that in in in. Return now. Some people have come to stayed at the house, yeah. and and that's been really good. Um, and we do these trips together. Like we're you know, there's people, there's people coming all over the country to this thing, the National Cathedral. Blows me. Some are riding motorcycles. Yeah. They're like because the idea of journeying is important, and we've done it. We our society's different. It's changed. And how do you have community? Like, and I think these conversations about. Like, for instance, what's the number here at Rocky Mountain? What's the phone number somebody wants to call? Oh, uh, 850-729-7227. So, so I, you know, I want you to do that <laughs> because, um, and, and I think the prices are up somewhere on the website where it says like 8000 a month or a year yeah, or something. Yeah, so this isn't is Rocky from the, from the 80s. No. But... <laughs> We live in a state that gives parents choices, and so one of the one of the great things about Flora is that there are so many uh, ways of getting help with private school tuition. And as a school, one of the things that we said so you you and I before we started talking here, you made the crack about the rich kids school. So as a staff kid, and my kids had the same. You know, my kids are coming to school in hand-me-down clothes or yeah. Goodwill clothes. Or garage sale clothes, and you know you're you're in class with a kid that for their 16th birthday gets a, a, a new car that costs more than the house you live in. Yeah. Okay. Or more. I, I experienced that. Yeah. Okay. So so my kids too, and um, so one of the things that the the founders really they they wanted they wanted a school where what I call the the Christian working poor could have a place for their kids. Okay, so they didn't they didn't want a fancy rich kid school. Now, you know, properly, you know, God's not a respecter of persons, so being poor is not a spiritual virtue no, it's while not. being rich is not a, a, a spiritual vice. Blessing. Or a blessing yeah, either. It's yeah. just it isn't what it is. But um, they wanted a school where what I call sort of the, the, the Christian lower middle class could find a place to send their kids. And so the way they did it in the old days was, you know, kind of the barter system. Um, you know, you can't afford school, come drive a bus. And so that built community here, it's just, you know, the IRS has got a certain view of, of bartering that, that does not match that sort of medieval community idea that Bob Greed had. Well, well, I bring this up because when, you know, some of y'all parents out there, you know, I've told you, I don't have kids, I don't, I don't know all the answers to raising children. But I do know this is where I started. I thought this was an important interview to bring people on. And I think that one of the things that's important is you get on a website and look at what's going on. Don't be daunted because you see some figures up there. Because like Mike's saying, the state gives vouchers. 
well, things work out. And, you know, so. and so as a school, what we've said is we're going to tithe back. So, you know, I, I'm the guy that raised the prices. I, I am. Because we, we would... Well, thank every, God you did. We shouldn't be having... I mean, like, everything costs. Yeah. Everything is valuable. So every bus you ever rode on was older than your mom. <laughs> okay. They were. So, they were. So, and you spent a lot of time broken down. On the side, side of the, of the road. Oh, yes. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> so we bought new buses. We, we did some things that we needed to do to, to have a safe and secure environment for our kids. But we said we're not going to lose that. So basically we, we give internal tuition assistance to families. And so what, what we say is... If this is the right school for you, we don't we don't want the price tag to be the thing that keeps you out. Now, that goes back to looking at stuff the way God looks at it. Because again, the, the biggest temptation for me is just to stare at my budget every day and try to make sure that I'm as in the black as I can get yeah. on a budget basis. Because you know that's sort of the guarantee that I'm going to keep my job, right? The most important thing is what's happened in those classrooms with those kids, and God bringing the right families to us is the key. Because the people again, that should be here. It's, it's what you said about people that want help are going to find it. Well, pe parents that want this sort of transformative educational experience in the lives of their children are, are going to get it. Okay. So I was going to make a point. So what, what if you don't live in the Central Florida Panhandle? Well, there's a guy named Jeff Keaton. And he started a group called Renew a Nation. Now, he's Pentecostal, so here's what I found. You know, we've worked with Pentecostals for a long time in this area. They read the exact same Bible I do, and when they see God promise something, they expect Him to do it. Okay? <laughs> I'm Presbyterian, so I hope that maybe He'll do it. Okay? But, but they just say, come out right out and say, God's going to do that for, him, for us. Okay, so Jeff. Jeff um, was a pastor, he started a school, and then he, and he saw this problem is that there are so many communities that don't have schools like what we're talking about. And so he started this thing called Renew a Nation, and basically he goes in and he helps start, he does what Bob and Harold did, he goes in and helps people that want this kind of education for their kids to do it where they live. And again, you know, there's all kinds of options out there. So we could actually, we, ha we have a homeschool umbrella. We can actually educate your kid if you lived in, you know, Death Valley. I don't you know. know. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. We can, we can set something up. But the point is, the, the people contact is really, is really important. So, you know, if you live, you know, north of the Arctic Circle and there just aren't any people for 40 miles, that's one thing. But most, most of us live in towns and villages and, and cities and communities. And that, you know, the most important thing that happens here is, is the life-on-life -life contact between Christian grown-ups and, and young people, and we're all sort of going on the same path. So you mentioned Pilgrimage. One of the other books that we read, uh, uh, it, along with Beowulf, is Canterbury Tales. And so Canterbury Tales, which is, you know, sort of misunderstood in the modern mind, is kind of a collection of some naughty stories, you know, kind of mixed in with saints' tales. It, it's about people on on the journey of life, yeah. and it's a bunch of people, good, bad, and ugly, together going someplace, just like real life is. And the the book ends with a sermon, and the sermon it's a medieval sermon, so he's going to talk about the seven deadly sins, but then he's going to talk about the corresponding virtues, and he's going to basically say, 
guys, you know, we're on a path. And, you know, keep putting that one foot in front of the other because in 80 miles you can get from Southwark and in, in London to Canterbury and, and going to this place together matters. So, you know, you and me, we're on a, we are on a journey. The people that are in our lives are in that journey with us. And we're, Lord willing, all going to the same place. Some of us are going to get there faster than others. Some of us are going to have more spills. So, you know, you had a, a, a three-year dark window over oh, here yeah. that could have, could have easily cost you your life. I mean, it, it, it does. Did. It does. Oh, it does for lots of, what would you say, 22 a day? 22 a day of us. Yeah, killers. okay. So, you know, and I live in a town where the suicide epidemic is, you know, 16-year-olds. Okay? Now, that's crazy. That's just crazy. That's that's like the insane asylum, you know. But that's that's what's going on in our culture. And again, it it seems dark. It seems hopeless. It seems like just give up and. You see, I think we can get through that. Yeah, and I, I think, think I think we that's what the sacredness doing. of these stories. When, you know, like, I mean, there it is, right there. You, you, you know, you can. There's somebody to help you build another school. There's a fact that like. This guy, who, for a lot of things, don't care for corporate Christian anything, yeah, is sitting here with you because there's an importance about it. Even though I don't agree with everything, I certainly agree with the main thing, and that's that people are important and our stories are sacred, and we're on a journey. And I don't think that I've got it all in myself, that I'm all okay. At the end of the day, I know that I've, I've got faults and I've got some problems and I've got some real brokenness. And therefore, if I think about, well, like, you've got some of that same stuff and maybe together, maybe what I'm kind of pushing against isn't really what I'm pushing against. Maybe what I'm needing is something that I can only get by striving and struggling in a, in a direction that goes on. And that's why it's important yeah. to, like, to do this, to, I mean, to keep Rocky Bayou going. I mean, like, I never thought I would be sitting here with you telling a whole bunch of people that I think how important this is. But it is. And I've realized it by coming out of the, you know, like, I wrote this song called Johnny Cash, that Veterans Life album. And it, it talks about, like, I want to kill myself. I didn't want to go to heaven to see Jesus. I wanted to go see Johnny Cash. I <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to have like a big blowout party. And um, I was up in Nashville, and the guy said to me, he said, do you ever write anything about suicide? I said, yeah. And I, I told him the lyrics. And he's like, why are you saying it? I said, because I feel like I'm glorifying this. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm not glorifying that despair, because that despair is awful. What I do realize about that despair is it's not unvaluable. It's valuable that I went through it. There's yeah. something that's that's worth that in that journey in that struggle. There's something that was there that I'm I'm, I'm not glad I went through it at all. <laughs> like my, I, I wish I could not have gone through well, it, but I, I had to. I think I think that's actually in the Bible, and it's the idea, you know, that uh, God's God's frequently much realer to you because of going through something hard and it's always the Bible says it's always the reason you go through hard stuff the reason God arranges your circumstances in a way that hey 
that's the river and you're crossing it is because when you come out the other side, you're able to help people that are going through that. So you see that the whole story you told me before we sat down here was where you been, what, what yeah. you've been doing. And again, you know, that's what I said was the God thing. God's calling you to these people and, you know, they're not coming to Trinity Presbyterian Church on a Sunday morning to, to hear this. They're, there's a guy that's lived this that, you know, you ain't perfect and you're not, you're not, you know, Joe, Joe, long flowing blonde hair. You, you, but you, but you got a touch point here, and you know, you know what these people have lived through because well, you yeah, were there. I've lived through it too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, and, and I think that's, you know, I did my Sunday thing, and I said, you don't, don't follow me, because I'm screwed up. You know, I'm vulgar. I'm, um, I'm just not the guy to follow. Maybe the guy that's wanting that twenty, what is it, twenty fifty-six million dollar plane? Maybe he's the guy we should all be following. <laughs> like I'm not really sure that he isn't the guy. So, uh, if the value of the vehicle that you're using to transport yourself is, hey, I gotta say, I, I don't deserve a fifty-six million dollar plane. I wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I don't know how he feels at the end of the day, but a lot of us have had a good chuckle over that. I mean. You know, somebody asked me once, well, wouldn't it be cheaper to fly? Because I, I, oh, yeah. I do a lot of traveling, you know? <laughs> so I did I did the base ticket where I'm scrunched up in a seat like this. Because yeah. y'all know I'm not small. And it's still $200 cheaper for me to get in my vehicle and drive down the road. Yeah. I mean, um, and then, and then I see people along the way that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. But... Well, I, you know, like I think about this whole thing. I think about the fact that there are resources for people out there to do school. You've invested your life in caring for others and building community. And there's nothing more important in my mind than the sacredness of story. You know, I was, I was out in the, uh, I went out and saw a guy the first, maybe it was the second summer. It's all starting to run again. Like, I can't remember when it was, but I went and saw this guy, and we've been in Afghanistan together, and he was he was struggling. I went and saw him this year, and he's doing so much better. Um, and he showed me this bush. It's called a burning bush. It's a real thing. It's called a burning bush. Really? Yeah. And he's he's in uh, southern Idaho, right above Utah there, and I mean, there ain't nothing. Middle of nothing. And, uh, you know, Rick, you remember showing me this thing. And... Show me this bush. And there's that story in when I became a chaplain, I, I really didn't think I had anything to offer, you know. Like I, I I read this book called Brother to a Dragonfly and I realized that all this pain and stuff was valuable. Like growing up in a trailer and everything I did, it was, it was valuable. It was good that I was where I was at. And it, it was a different take on it. And he showed me this bush. And I was brought back to the story of Moses walking out in the desert. And God's like, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. You need to take them off. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the heck that meant, you know, because now you're on holy ground, so your feet's touching holy ground. Aren't you being consumed? Yeah. But, but like, I always, point. <laughs> I always thought to myself, like, when somebody starts telling me their story, proverbially, yeah, I need to take my shoes off and sit down and shut up yeah. and listen because something valuable and important was going on. 
and I, and I want to thank you for sharing today for all the <laughs> Beowulf. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, you taught me how to to do my first poetry, um, my first songs, like the whole. It was pretty cool doing this interview. So, did I ever throw any of your what what would they have been back then cassettes out the bus window because Scooter and I were on the I know I threw some of Justin's Justin Pox out the window. <laughs> you probably threw out the Rush CDs. <laughs> yeah. I actually I actually have a lot of respect for Rush now. So what a band. Yeah. <laughs> really talented. Well, you know, it's um but you like you like you too, I think. I do. In high school. I, I still like you too. Okay. And I like you too. I think that I mean, they're great. Okay. I'm, I'm a little bit more liberal now in my musical taste than I was. <laughs> well, you know, what, here's what got me about Bono. And, and so many of the people that I play music with do not like you too. Bono gets all these kicks, man. He just, like, he'll stop the van. There's stories of him stopping the van and, um, one of the, you know, the bass players, Adam, I think he's not even a, a believer of any, he's not a Christian of any sort or any claim to fame. And him and the Edge will get out there and he'll break out the Bible. He's preaching to everybody on the tour bus. And there's stories of him sitting on, you know, like getting these harebrained ideas where he's going to raise money for Africa and he's yeah, going to do this he's and he's going to challenge the U.S. government. It, you know, like I'm taking it a page right out of his book. I'm just going <laughs> to do everything I can with everything I've got. And um, and you know I, I love music. I like when I when I <laughs> my mom wouldn't let me play the guitar because the devil's tool, yeah. you know. And and so my wife has had to hear me teach myself how to play, and it has. Yeah. We have rules like no music before seven. <laughs> so our son Jonathan, who's an accomplished musician wanted to play the guitar in high school and I was on the same no watch <laughs> wa wall watch there that I ain't gonna have no hippie rock and roll in my house so I told the kids you had you had to take a, a year of piano lessons before I let you pick up the guitar so Johnny's the only one that call, called my bluff on it and said okay I'll take a year of piano so he took a year of piano he's probably got his good an got incredible his guitar. guitar player because of the piano well, he does thank me for that but but so I'm I'm not Musical. My my motto is: if you can't sing good, sing loud, right? Um, so I do so. <laughs> so, but I, but I I love poetry, and I've taught poetry for thirty plus years, and so you know, essentially, you know, poetry poetry and and lyrics of songs they're all they're all the same thing. But you know, biblically, you know, music is glorified speech. So if, if poetry is the highest speech form and you know nobody thinks this today you know all, nobody learns poetry anymore but if poetry is is the most glorified speech you can have and then music glorifies poetry okay then you're talking about you know something that god has hardwired into us oh is that that touches places that nothing else can touch because i know poetry touches places the prose can't touch and I know that music touches plays, and even instrumental music oh, touches things. But but music and words, then the craft of that, but it's also the content of it. You know, that's I, that's like the highest form. I was listening to a guy play last night, and if, if I hadn't been surrounded by so many people, I might have just bawled. Yeah. 
and I don't even know what the words were. It was the way his voice sounded yeah. with the song, yeah. and and it's like. So I, I, I wish I had that talent. I wish I was doing what you were doing. I wish I was that that talented. Well, I don't know that I'm all that talented, but I know this: every little bit of I got, everything I've got, I'm putting it into it. And you know, at the end of the day. You know, that, that little dash in between those two dates. I'm not going to feel bad about what I did with the dash. Yeah. And whether or not I have a funeral or anybody comes to that stuff, I, that doesn't matter. Because I think that we're all in the... I think we're in the birth canal, Mike. Yeah, that's a good way to... I think that this next life is what it's all about. Yeah, it's, it's the real life. Because all this sh- stuff here... <laughs> I know we're on the school thing. I almost got a little crazy. Oh. It didn't really stop you before, I will know. Oh, did I <laughs> but all this stuff so, here. That's probably the, that's probably the most cussing I, I've heard since someplace in the seventh grade. Oh. In my DOD school in Germany. But you taught me that it's not cussing. I did, just being I did, vulgar. I did, I did have that. I still I still occasionally do that that little chapel. My whole, my whole <laughs> tribe, we're, we're a bit vulgar. But we do not assume the power of curses. Yeah. And we are not blaspheming God. And and I know it, and I don't I don't really know what happens. I, I know what happened. When I went to this country and this country, I've never been to Vietnam, I've never been to Korea. But I do know this. Is something happened over there that like all the squeaky clean chrome polished stuff, that doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't matter just about the Ninety percent of vet church, you know, it just I. But, but I th- I thank you for that that little didactic because. Without an understanding of that, that's one of the hardest things for me too is is to be aware. That there are I I I put up that little, thing at one point on vet church and. Um, one of my friends' moms wrote me and said, "Matt, you've used the f word like five or six times." I just, you just don't need to do that. And I thought, well, <laughs> yes, I do. You know, yeah, that, you know. And then, and then I realized that um, that she wasn't saying that to be critical. She was saying it's because it's true. Because out here in society, yeah. people don't talk that way all the time. And so, if you want to be engaged in this over here, I don't need to shock and awe everybody like I was yeah. in basic training or. So I, you know, it's a, um, but the idea is really, at the end of the day, I want to give everything I got. And I think that's what you're doing here. I mean, like, I, you know, it's good that you've raised up some, like, and I don't remember, we didn't have food sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, it, you know, like, to be a teacher at this school at one point required that you kind of do what I'm doing now. You throw your entire life into it. You go through your house. You find out what's valuable, and you sell it because you're going to make it the next year. And then the next year, maybe you'll have something to sell, and maybe you won't. Yeah. Maybe you go somewhere else. Yeah. And no, it was it 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 was the Protestant version of taking a vow vow of poverty. <laughs> Which I'm glad you've got. You know what? There's nothing glorious in being poor. You know the poor. They're they're poor because they need to eat. 
They want jobs. They'll come across the desert and die in a desert. They'll, they'll face having their kids ripped apart. They'll do anything to get a job. Yeah. So, anyhow, so my, my goal is that, again, I, I want people with the hearts oh, yeah. that, that would take that vow if that's what it took to, to reach a young person. But, yeah, wow. I'd, ra- I'd rather be able to let them have a house. Your, your, kids. Pe- your people aren't buying a house on the water either. I know what's no. going on here. Like, we're, we're talking about paying the electric bill. Ch- Choctaw Beach, baby. Maybe, have, <laughs> maybe having some internet. You know? yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if you had a newer used car. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, thank you for, thanks for doing this. Um, I'm just glad you weren't mad at me for standing up two years ago or whatever that was. I'm telling you, I was so drugged up, I didn't know. Okay. Well, I like, I, I just, I felt like I offended you somehow, and, um, no. and like you're one of my childhood heroes. And then I'm thinking, you, you know, watching mom die, and then, then starting this thing up where we're going. You, yeah, I've always been busy, so when you're working 60, 70 hours a week, yeah, and trying to stay married and everything else. I just never had time to address it, and then Billy decided to rent our house and mention going back to, to because he wanted to bring his kids to Rocky Mountain. He's moving, you know, they're, he's going to commute up there to wherever it is he's working at, and somewhere in Alabama, <laughs> and then and the you know and rent the house so that we can go on a road and do this. And he and he's like, well, you know, one of the big wigs down there, don't you? <laughs> I said, uh, well, I know Mike. He kind of runs the thing now, and he, but we haven't talked in a while, and he says. If you have a fault with your brother, you should go talk to him. <laughs> and I'm like, hang on a second, Bill. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. I appreciate that. But uh, I don't even know if Bill's on Facebook. I think his wife is, though. So. <laughs> but yeah, um, thanks for doing this because I keep, you know, like I'm constantly aware that there's so many parents who are trying to do this. I mean, like, it's, there's, there's, and there's so much guilt, and guilt is always, 100% of the time, self-perpetuated. Yeah. And and shame comes from the outer culture, but the outer culture can't even shame you right now because there's just no real good answers. Yeah, it's it's a tough time. It really is. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad my kids are are young enough to be been babysat by you, but they're they're more in your kind of generation than they are in the, the current one. Their their kids are the current generation. And yeah, this is a, this is a hard time to raise kids. It is. And, and uh, again, you, you gotta you gotta put your faith in God that, you know, he's he's gonna get you through this. And 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 you see like people are almost every day somebody joins veterans and it blows my mind because you know you can go in and add your people, but nobody's gonna add their friends if they don't believe in it. Yeah. And looking to believe in something that doesn't have an offering plate and doesn't say, give me, give me, give me. You know, like, I, at the end of the day, I don't know how this is getting funded most of the time. I mean, especially when Kate quits her job and we go, you know, but we we do. I'm lucky, man. I got 2000 a month, man. I'm a retired Army captain. Yeah, like I said, you're a millionaire. I, I am if you if you spread it out long enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I mean it's true globally. I mean, oh yeah. We're the richest, whatever one percent, one half of one percent of the world. Of the world. And, and I've been, and you've been yeah. some of the places. You know, like I mean, it's crazy what's going on. But anyway, thank you very very much. I appreciate it.
Godspeed in your 10,000 miles a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might slow it down a little bit, and that way I can sit with people and do more of these because that's where Vet Church, this is where Vet Church is going. My goal for next year is to do 400 of these interviews. Wow. Um, be a busy man. Well, it, and it'll be worthwhile because yeah. I think then it'll change things. I've already, I, I, there's a lady in uh, Fort Worth, Texas who wants to be another part of Vet Church, like a subsidiary, mm-hmm. do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, this, I, I'm all about that. I mean, I think it's important. There's too many people that their, their stories are sacred, they're worth sharing, there's something good going on. Yeah. And, and there's no franchise. I mean, this is the only hard piece of anything, the Vet T-shirt, but... So, um, <laughs> y'all continue to question, think, use your minds, have fun, and take care of one another. Love y'all. Thank you for joining us for part two of this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.